Please join with me in the prayer for illumination that's found in your bulletin. Awakening God, stir our imagination by the power of your Holy Spirit, that in receiving your word, we might walk humbly toward the new world of mercy and justice you are creating in our midst. A lesson from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And when the chief priests and the scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him, because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'd like to invite any children who are here to come up and join me if you'd like to. And if you're worshiping from home, just get a little closer to your screens and we'll have a little bit of a moment together. Come on up. I'm so glad to see you. Oh, there are more of you than I thought. Good morning, Maggie. I'm glad to see you. Penelope. Oh, that's beautiful and shiny. Wow. It's beautiful. All right. Come on up. So happy to see everyone. Everybody's got their sweaters back on because it's cold again. But at least the sun is shining. Well, I want to talk a little bit today about feelings. We all have feelings, right? All different kinds of feelings. That's just of being human, we have feelings. So let's think about, um, help me make a face for a feeling, okay? Let's do a happy face. Happy face, yeah, that's good. What's another feeling? Uh, sad, make a sad face. Hmm. How about uh, surprised? Oh, that's a good surprise face, yeah. How about angry, mad? Yeah, sometimes you get angry. Well, that's the one I want to talk a little bit about today. Wait, let's go back to happy. Let's end with a happy one. Okay, I want to talk just a little bit today about anger. Because in our story today, Jesus is a little bit angry. He's angry because he's gone to the temple to worship. And he sees that some people, especially poor people, are not being treated fairly. And it makes him angry. And so he speaks out. And that's important for me to hear, and I think maybe for you to hear, that sometimes, I mean, we get angry. Our feelings come and go. That's just the way it is. But what's important is for us to think about, why am I angry? And sometimes we're angry because there's something wrong that's happening, and we need to speak up, and we need to do what's right. So next time you feel angry, take a deep breath and think, okay, why am I angry? Am I angry because something is wrong and I need to say something? 
Or am I just angry because someone else took the bigger cookie? That's something else altogether. But it's okay to feel angry sometimes and to pray about it and maybe talk with the grown-up about why you're feeling angry and see if there's something you need to do about it. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you so much for the stories of Jesus that tell us that he got happy and he got sad and he even got mad sometimes. But when he was angry, it was because of what he believed was right. And so help us to see when sometime we might need to speak out because something's not right. We thank you for the courage you give us and always the love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, if you are three, four, and five, or five, you can go to Children's Church with Pastor Maggie and Miss Tammy, and the rest can go back to your seats. Five and six. All right, well, you still get to go to Children's Church. This past week on Ash Wednesday, Pastor Shannon Baxter preached about those verses in the prophet Micah that are on the front of our bulletin. Micah chapter 6, verse 8 in in particular, where the prophet says, What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy or love kindness and to walk humbly with God? And that is going to be our theme throughout the whole season of Lent. We're going to spend two weeks diving in a little bit to biblical justice. And what does it mean that God calls us to be people of justice? And then we'll spend a couple of weeks looking at mercy and kindness and how we're called to live out God's invitation to kindness and mercy. And then the last two weeks, we'll be talking about walking with God in humility and the the steady practices that help us walk with God. Initially, I thought about flipping these because it seems like we walk with God, we show mercy, and then we move toward justice. But this is the way the prophet Micah lined it up. And so we're jumping into the deep end at the very beginning of Lent to talk about justice. And what is justice? What is biblical justice? What is the kind of justice that God calls us to? Justice is one of those words out in our culture these days that feels rather fraught and and sends people in different directions. But, But the scriptures are very clear throughout the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament that God is a God of justice. Let justice roll down like waters, says the prophet. I have come to preach good news to the poor, says Jesus. So what does it mean that we are called to justice? And what's the difference between justice and mercy? Well, there are several things over the years that have helped me understand the difference and the connection between justice and mercy. When we talk about mercy, it helps me to frame those things as the the ways that we meet the immediate, immediate needs of the world. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, says Jesus. I was in prison and you visited me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. Those things that we do as a congregation to feed the hungry, to to house the unhoused at Room in the Inn, to build habitat houses, to, to meet those immediate needs. 
And then justice is that work that we do when we step back and we, we start asking questions. Why are people hungry? Why are there so many people behind bars in prison? What is happening in our education system? Why doesn't everybody have access to health care? We start asking the questions and looking at our culture, our structures, our systems, our laws, our policies to see, is there something wrong? Is there something we can change to make our world a better place for everyone's flourishing? Several years ago, Bishop Peter Story from South Africa was our preacher at annual conference. And he gave an example that really stuck with me and was very helpful for me. He said, you know, we know the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's very familiar to most of us. The, the Samaritan is walking down the Jericho Road and he sees there's a man who's been beaten up and left for dead. And so he goes over, he tends the man's wounds, he puts him on his horse, takes him to a safe place, pays for his hotel room. That's mercy. That's showing kindness. Something to which we are all called. But what would happen, said Peter's story, if the next day the man was walking down the road and there was a different person beat up on the side of the road? And the next day, and the next day, if this was a chronic problem, would he not begin to ask the question, now what's going on on this Jericho Road? What's causing all of these people to be in danger? What's, what's the structural, societal problem? And can I do something about it? The beautiful thing is that we are called to both. We are a both and people as the people of God. Now, as individuals, there are some of us who are called particularly to ministries of mercy. That's our gift. That's our sweet spot. Going out and feeding or visiting the prisons or sitting with someone who's in the hospital. That's our gift set. For others of us individually, we have the gifts to, to look at systems and to, to go down to the legislature and talk with our lawmakers about how to make our laws and our policies more just. We can't all do it all. But as a people, as a congregation, we are a both and people. And that fits right in with our good old Methodist DNA. I was with some friends not too long ago, and a Presbyterian colleague said, you Methodists talk about John Wesley a lot. I was like, because he was amazing. We love John Wesley. He wasn't a saint, and he wasn't divine, but he was brilliant. And John Wesley preached a lot and talked a lot and lived into both mercy and justice. He fed the hungry. He set up a school for the children of coal miners. He offered a clinic for free health care for the poor. He did all of these things to meet the immediate needs of the people in his city. And he also was a thorn in the side of parliament. He was a very vocal advocate of abolition of slavery. He advocated for prison reform and, uh, and the safety of workers and minors. He did a lot to make the society in which he lived more just for everyone. So as Methodists, we are both and people. And Jesus was both and. This morning, we find Jesus in the temple in Jerusalem. And as I was reading about this text, I learned something that I had never noticed before. Fame Perkins, in her commentary, pointed this out. It's obvious now that she pointed it out. In the first ten chapters of Mark's gospel, Jesus is traveling around Galilee and on his way to Jerusalem. 
And in that time in his ministry, he is meeting the needs of those who come before him. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. uh, He's teaching. Whoever comes to him, he meets them where they are, and he works uh, for healing and reconciliation. He he, um, confronts authorities also in those times. But primarily, he's in a ministry of mercy. And then he gets to Jerusalem. And after he arrives in Jerusalem, there are no more healing stories in Mark's gospel. The only miracle that happens after chapter 10 is the cursing of the fig tree and the resurrection, of course. But from chapter 11 on, Jesus is in the temple causing trouble. He's confronting the authorities. He's pointing out the hypocrisy and the injustice of the temple system. And it starts in this text that we've just heard. So let's look a little bit about at what is going on in the temple. What exactly has made Jesus so angry and inspires him to speak out? So in the temple, there's a big area when you first walk in called the Court of the Gentiles. This is where everyone is welcome. You don't have to be Jewish, male, female, everybody's welcome in the Court of the Gentiles to come and pray and worship. Beyond that is the court of the women, and then beyond that is the court where only Jewish men could go. Now, through our 21st century eyes, we might see some injustice in that, but that was not what Jesus was addressing on that day. What he saw when he entered the court of the Gentiles were all of these tables set up. Now, let's take, for example, Mary and Joseph. When Jesus is eight days old, Mary and Joseph travel to Jerusalem to worship and to make their sacrifices, the rites of purification that Mary would have had to go through. Because they were poor, they would have had to sacrifice turtle doves. They couldn't afford anything else. But they likely wouldn't have traveled all the way from their home with turtle doves. So they would need to get them at the temple. The first thing, Joseph would have to exchange his Roman coins that he'd been paid with for coins that were accepted in the temple. Because the Roman coins had the image of the emperor on them, that was a graven image, they weren't allowed in the temple. So there was a money exchange. And the high priestly families got to set the exchange rate, whatever they wanted It's like changing your money in the airport. You're not going to get a good rate. And so chances were these high priestly families were making a little bit of money off of these travelers. And Mark specifically mentions the doves. They're making their money on the backs of the poor who are coming into the temple to worship, to seek God's love and forgiveness and grace. And they're being exploited for profit. So you have the money changers, you have those who are selling the doves and the animals who could set whatever price they wanted. And the Jewish historian Josephus even called the high priest Ananias the great procurer of money. He had a reputation for jacking up the prices. So Jesus walks into the temple and he sees all of these people, most of them poor, exchanging money and buying these animals because they have no other choice. Can you feel it? Can you feel the anger at that? That the authorities, the religious authorities, are putting these obstacles in the way of people, limiting their access to God until they pay their poll 
They pay their tax. They pay what they're supposed to pay. And Jesus is infuriated. And so he turns over. He makes a huge scene. This is a public demonstration. And he says, you have turned what is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations into a den of robbers. He steps into that space and he claims his authority. And it says he would not allow anyone to walk through the temple carrying anything. I think, I imagine, I don't know, but I wonder if he had his disciples doing a little sit-in to make sure nobody was walking through the temple. It's not until the next day, but when the religious authorities confront him, they basically say, who do you think you are? On whose authority are you doing this? Of course, we know he's speaking for his father. He is speaking for God, whose house this is. And they're making money off of the poor. So I hear this story of Jesus, and I'm inspired, and I'm energized, and I'm uncomfortable. I don't know about you, but I, I'm much more comfortable just staying with acts of mercy. I think I'm one of those people who naturally is a fit for acts of mercy, being with, sitting by the bedside, feeding the hungry, visiting the prisons, all of those things. It is not as natural to me to be someone who stands up for justice, who speaks out in the public square, who goes down to the legislature. But I knew when I was called to West End in 2017 that this was a church situated in the heart of the city with a voice, and that I and we would be called on from time to time to stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ and for God's justice in our world. And we're just 10 minutes from the legislature, and y'all, there are bills coming through the legislature that, that scare me and hurt my heart. And I feel called as the people of God to speak up for God's justice. Now, I know some will say that sounds like a political agenda. That sounds like a partisan agenda. But God's justice does not belong to one party or another, my friends. God's justice has been God's agenda long before there were Democrats and Republicans, long before anybody was ever in the White House, long before there was a United States of America, long before John Wesley was doing his ministries in the 18th century. This has always been the call of the people of God. And the church is called to be above and beyond any particular political party. No matter who is in the White House or who has a majority in the legislature, we are called to speak out and stand up for God's justice, for the flourishing of all people, for compassion. And it's hard. And it scares me to death. And I don't know how to do it. But I want to learn. And we do have people in our midst and in our city who can help us learn. But we must continue to stay on our knees and pray to discern what it is we're called to do and how we're called to speak and when we're called to speak. And how we do that in love and courage, grounded in the authority of Christ and nothing else. 
Now they say courage is not the absence of fear, it's recognizing your fear, but doing what is right anyway. So my friends, I don't know all the different ways that God is calling us to work for justice in our community and in our world. But I see Jesus in the temple. And I see West End shining the loving light of Christ in our city. And I just wonder how we are called to turn over the tables. Amen.